Welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, Christmas is all wrapped up, but it was so nice to see everyone in person and online. However you choose to worship, you can join us every Sunday in this new year. And you're just in time for a new sermon series in this new year called Jesus is Greater Than. Don't worry, it's not a math class. But for the next few weeks, Pastor Jason will be taking us on a journey and exploring how Jesus is bigger than, well, everything. So let's get started right now. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Tower Hill. So glad that you're able to join us for worship this morning. Happy New Year for those who maybe are just tuning in for the first time in 2021. It's so good. I'm so glad we get this time to worship God together. Even if we can't be together physically, we're able to worship together spiritually. Well, I hope your New Year's off to a good start. I know that, you know, we went to sleep and all of a sudden the world's on fire again, apparently. But man, my goodness, the the optimism of 2021 certainly didn't last very long. We didn't have a lot of time to revel in the new start of the new year, certainly according to what we've all seen play out at our nation's capital over this last week. And I know there's a lot of conflicting reports about who it was and who's involved, but in the end, it is a low point, certainly, for this country. And it feels like it's been coming, though, that this whole thing has been brewing. And what we've seen as trends happening over many years has all been accelerated over the last 9, 10, 11 months. Because really, that's what this pandemic has done. That's what all of this has done. It's sort of put a lot of pressure, like where all of these issues that we experience as people, as a nation in our own spiritual lives, in our own work lives and family lives. Everything's been put under this intense pressure, this pressure cooker, and everything is coming out sideways. Everything's boiling over. Things seem to be going crazy. I mean, here's what we do know, is that this recipe for what's going on in the world is creating a lot of problems. And so we're starting this new sermon series to really talk about the fact that Jesus is greater. That's a greater symbol. It's not some kind of weird new age thing that we, right? It's a, it's a greater symbol that Jesus is greater than these issues that we are seeing in front of us. Jesus is greater even that we give Jesus credit for by the way we're living our lives. Jesus is greater than the world thinks and the country thinks. More on that in a moment. But here's what we know. If we're going to make kind of an equation of the last nine, ten months, it might be something like, Pandemic plus protest plus politics equals probably panic, but a paradigm shift. And it's a paradigm shift that's been a long time in the making, but this paradigm shift now under the pressure cooker of this last season we've been in is, well, maybe America has more cracks in it than we thought. Maybe this country has a lot more deep-rooted issues than we even realized or that we even ever wanted to stop and pay attention to. And it's changing all, we're right in front of us. We're realizing that there's a lot more hurt, there's a lot more brokenness, there's a lot more division than there has ever been that we could perhaps recall. And what, the reason why this happens, why there's a paradigm shift, and maybe this isn't the America I thought it was, and, you know, I mean, listen, we still, I feel like being born in this country is, uh, you've won the lottery, right? I mean, so many things about this nation, about our freedoms, but we've got our issues, right? And the thing is, this is how paradigm shifts work, is that people will begin to challenge whatever the existing paradigm is 
when it no longer fits the observed data. So you could pick any number of things about what's going on in our country, and you start thinking, oh my goodness, like, I'm seeing how things are playing out, and it doesn't look like the America that I know. So therefore, I start to come up with a different paradigm of how this country really is doing. Now, while certainly this has all been in full view of us in our country over this season, this is true in every part of our lives. And it's especially true spiritually, that if we see data, sense data around us that seems to conflict with our paradigm of God, we start constructing a new paradigm. And sometimes that's healthy, but oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it drives a wedge between us and the truth. Because we start inventing our own truth based on what we're seeing in front of us. Now, in our country, what we do, and we do this spiritually too, but we like to play the blame game. Remember the old song, the name game? Okay, yeah, I'm super old, but the name game, right? The blame game. I mean, this is just, if you're just taking this country as an example, I mean, think about all the fingers that have been pointed everywhere, right? Blames on Democrats, blame Republicans, Blame people of color, blame white people, blame rich people, poor people, religious people, which actually just means Christians, and irreligious people. Blame all of them because they are the problem. It's that problem, that problem. And the truth is, it's probably a complexity that involves multiple people spread out over, you know, all different kinds of demographics. But the thing is, when we start playing the the blame game, we start losing sight of the truth. And maybe because we don't want to recognize what the truth is, or we don't want to face what the truth is. But the thing is, I I think we all need to be reminded that it's not just a sociological problem we have in America, for example. It's essentially, at its core, a spiritual problem. It's, It's a problem inside of us. It has to do with sin and brokenness. And while I'm a fan of science, I think anybody who thinks, well, we can just science our way out of this problem is gravely mistaken. Science can help us. It can contribute to the overall picture of what's going on. But really, you have to address the sin problem. This is the problem that's creating all the other problems. The answer, therefore, has got to be spiritual. See, a paradigm shift occurs when there's a better explanation based on a better interpretation of the data. We see this all around us all the time, and this is how science works, right? You have a scientific theory until there's a better explanation, which is a better interpretation of the data. And you've experienced it in your life, you know, when you went off to college, right? You thought, well, my parents don't know anything. They're morons. Then by the time you were done with college, you're like, oh, maybe... Maybe they weren't so dumb. Maybe they kind of knew what they were talking about, after all. And, you know, it's a paradigm shift that happens as you gain maturity, as you live a little life and realize some of the issues that you never knew existed. The point is, not only have we experienced a paradigm shift in our country, but I think we need a paradigm shift back to the truth about Jesus. Over the last several decades, there has been a paradigm shift regarding Christianity in North America, for sure. And the reason is, people are looking at the data, and they're saying, well, Christians aren't acting the way Jesus says to. Therefore, there must be something broken about this. Right? The paradigm that we've seen over the last few decades 
exacerbated by the last nine, ten months, is what? Christians are more like a closed fist than an open hand. Christians are about holding on to preserving whatever they think needs to be preserved, preserved, canceling people that they object with, obstinate, perhaps intolerant, perhaps cruel, perhaps using the Bible as a blunt weapon, so to speak, angry, self-righteous. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, listen, Christians, we know that we're imperfect, even the best of us. But I think in a lot of ways, we've earned this paradigm that we've received from our country, perhaps the world, in that Christians aren't behaving in such a way that makes me want anything to do with Jesus. That's the paradigm, I think, that we're struggling with. And then people make a, a, even though it's not right, they make the leap to, well, if Christians are like this, then Jesus must be like this. And if that's what Jesus is about, if that's what the Christian faith is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And one of the reasons why people, we know, of course, that that's not true, but you can kind of understand how it happens, is that people see the sense data around them and they develop a paradigm based on what they're seeing, which may or may not be the truth, or it may be a bad example of something going on, but does it represent the larger whole? But one of the problems here is actually bad theology, the wrong interpretation of the data. Theology, of course, is just a fancy way of saying understanding God or the study of God. You are a theologian. If you've ever thought about God and what you believe about God, you've done theology. But the thing is, bad theology, bad interpretations lead to a lot of bad answers about who God is and what God means to me. And this is a real problem. So if I've been hurt by Christians, it actually is really bad theology to then take my experience of Christians and pin that on God. It's kind of like if I go to a pizza shop and they serve me the worst piece of pizza I've ever had. I wouldn't like try, I mean, I couldn't do this because I don't have a time machine, but I wouldn't like call up the inventor of pizza and be like, this is the worst pizza I've ever had. How dare you invent pizza? No, of course not. Maybe it's the pizza shop that got it wrong. Maybe they didn't cook it right. Maybe they just left it out too long. Maybe they used bad cheese, whatever it is. I wouldn't blame the maker for the people that gave it to me, right? I would blame the people who gave it to me. Maybe those Christians are not following Jesus the way that they're supposed to be. They gave me a bad example, but I'm not, I shouldn't take that out on my understanding of God. So let's turn this around and ask kind of a positive question about what this means for us, what it means for faith in our understanding of God in the face of all the data that we're seeing around us. And the question is, why should a 21st century American put their faith in Jesus Christ based on the data? In other words, what should they really be looking at or what should the right interpretation of the data be? If they're to have faith, I think it's an important question because I think it helps us to understand, it helps us to kind of recalibrate in the face of everything that we're seeing going on. And it, of course, helps others to understand who don't yet know Jesus, how they can, even with all the crazy things going on, that God's not the one that's causing all of this to happen, perhaps. And the way we're going to attack this question is through the book of Hebrews. And the reason why we're doing that is because the book of Hebrews was written in a very similar time that we're experiencing now. 
It was right after a huge national crisis, which was very spiritual in nature. It was cataclysmic. It was society changing. If we think these times are bad, this was probably worse. And that was the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. It was a crisis that threw the Jewish people into a panic. Now, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense why it would. So their whole religious life was centered around the temple. They believe that's where God literally dwelled. It's where they came to make their sacrifices. It's where, all, where they would come in pilgrimage for all of the religious feasts and festivals that would happen every year. All those times we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem for Passover or for tabernacles or one of the other feast days. This was their life. And so when Rome destroyed the temple... It, it brought up a lot of questions, right? Brought up a lot of bad theology. And it was, well, maybe God isn't strong enough. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God is, you know, uh, has left us. Or maybe there is no God. It led to a major, major crisis where the, the Jewish people really lost. And they're thinking, well, what is... What has God done? I mean, all of this history that we have, and it's like, it's all out the window. Everything, the world is literally on fire. And the book of Hebrews was written right after this to address these questions in this situation directly. And I think we learn a lot by the lessons we get from the book of Hebrews. So let's jump in. This is chapter one, verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now you see what it's doing right off the back, the book of Hebrews is recalibrating, reinterpreting the data of just who God is and who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't just some radical who was a blasphemer, who thought or or was crazy and he thought he was God. No, Jesus was something else. He was beyond the prophets and the kings and the people that we listen to in the Old Testament. He was on another level profoundly on another level i mean what did that scripture just say it said jesus is the creator right through through him all things were created that's something you can only say about god you can't say that about a human you can't say that about a prophet jesus is the sustainer holding all things together by his word that's also something only god can do jesus also the uh, the for the forgiveness of sins he can forgive sin. that's something only god can do and so what Really, what Hebrews was trying to explain was there's a better interpretation, and you have to start with understanding everything about God. You can't just start with the circumstance around you. you got to start with who God is, and then you work your way from there. This is a better interpretation of God. Now, interestingly, uh, we have to read between the lines a little bit in the book of Hebrews, but what's clear is the people that the letter is written for had a very complex angelology. Uh, they were really into angels, and they believed in 
uh, we don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what they believed in, but it's clear that they thought angels were the, the most powerful beings that they could experience. And, you know, I think about that all the time, and I think we, we actually see that a lot here in 21st century America, right? Whether it's angels or spiritual powers or uh, psychic healing or, um, you know, people who can claim to communicate with loved ones who have passed. I mean, it's kind of a lot of the same stuff. And Hebrews then turns to this and just addresses this pretty quickly. So he became, again, talking about Jesus, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, what, he's trying, what the author of Hebrews is trying to say is, you're looking at the crisis and you're building a theology of God. And that's not the way you should do it. You're looking at the crisis and letting the crisis tell you who you think God is. But that would be kind of the same thing as blaming the inventor of pizza for the bad pizza that you just got at the local pizza shop. You're looking at this crisis, like the crisis that we're all facing now, right? And you're building a theology of God. So what are the theology or understanding of God that we're getting from this crisis is, well, God is absent, apathetic, or angry. Or Jesus, perhaps, is a moral teacher or an example of faith, but has no real power in the world or in our lives. Or worse, that Christians are nothing but power mongers, fear mongers. They're corrupt. All they care about is control. And this is the paradigm people are creating. And what I think the book of Hebrews reminds us of is that that's not the way to build a theology. Based on the bad things that go on around you is not a way. You can't work your way up to extrapolate how God is. You have to start with God. And then you start to understand what everything else means. It's like you're looking through the wrong end of the lens. You're looking the wrong way. You know how you could take a lens, like think about a pair of binoculars, and if you turn them around, things are actually further away and less clear than when you do them properly and everything is closer and more clear. Is that when you start with the events around you to begin to start how to understand God, things become far away and less clear. But if you start with God, everything becomes clearer. And I think for us, what this means in our circumstance now is we need to get back to, we need to have a new paradigm shift of getting back to the truth of who Jesus is and what he means for us. We need to get back to the truth for what it really is, and that is, you know, start with your theology of God and let it speak to the crisis. No, God has not left. God is not absent. God said things like sin is going to be a problem. It's going to continue to be a problem until all things are made new. But God continues to be extravagant in his love for us, his love for the world. Jesus died so that we might have life and that to the full. 
It's not just that uh, he's a moral teacher, a moral example. No. He is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, who laid down his life so that you can have one forever. And that Christians, we have been put on this planet to love as Jesus loves. And there are plenty of examples of Christians doing exactly that. We get back to looking at the crisis for what it is. It's a crisis. But it shouldn't be a crisis of faith. Quite the opposite. It should push us to live a real, authentic, powerful faith in God. Where we start with God and we work our way out to everyone else with his love. Sharing it with everyone in every way that we can. In other words, maybe the problem is the pizza shop. Maybe the problem is the way that Christians in this country have behaved or have allowed themselves to be painted a picture of a certain way. What is it that we're known for? Do, are we known for anything or are we kind of known for what we're against? Are we known for how much we love people who don't agree with us? Are we known for laying down our lives for the least, the last, and the lost? Maybe we got to do a better job of making the pizza. Maybe then people will get a better understanding of who God is and what it means, what he means for their lives. See, something amazing happens when you get this part right in your life. When you figure out who God really is, it's like all these disparate parts of your life fall into place. It's like you get a, a holy and spiritual recalibration. You get back to functioning the way that you're supposed to be. Everything kind of lines up. Once you know who Jesus really is, it recalibrates your heart and makes forward movement possible. Once you get the identity of Jesus right, then you get your identity right. Then you start to understand what this whole thing means and your place in the big picture. Yes, even in the crisis. In the Gospel of John, Jesus puts it this way. He's getting questioned by a lot of doubters, a lot of haters. And he has some of his disciples and followers there too. And they ask, who are you? Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Once you know who he really is, and you hold on to his teaching, like like you would if you know who God really is, then that is going to set you free. The politicians aren't going to set you free. The circumstances are going to set you free. It's the truth about who God is and what your life is about that's going to set you free. And what happens is people will begin to challenge a paradigm when it no longer fits the observed data. When they start seeing Christians acting like the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, they're going to change their paradigm. I can't think of a better time For this nation and this world's paradigm to be changed about who Jesus is. No matter what you see in front of you. No matter how bad things look. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than anything. And somehow we've lost that. I think the church has lost that. Jesus is greater than all of this. 
We need to live like it. We need to live in the hope of the gospel. Imagine with me for a a minute what it would be like if we all really believed it. If we all really believed that Jesus is bigger than all this, greater than all of this. And if we would just remember who he really is, we remember who we were meant to be. And we start living a life without the hate, without the fear, without the chaos, without the panic. I mean, that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to say. Look, God's got this. He's had a plan from the beginning, and that plan is Jesus Christ. Yes, everything around you feels like it's on fire, and some of it quite literally is. But don't let that shake who you know God to be. I hope this helps you as you move forward this week. And we're going to be talking about this for a couple of weeks. Who is Jesus really? And to know that Jesus is greater than any of the fears, any of the challenges that we're going to face. Amen.